Welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres, your host. John Torres is our guest today, and if you're wondering whether we're related, we are not. In fact, Torres comes from Ohio, where he grew up on a farm in the northwest part of the state. These days, he's the executive director of Maryland Farm Bureau, where he runs the day-to-day operations for the organization. A lot is happening in Maryland these days, from the growth of hemp to the growth of solar installations on farms. But he also sees a bright future for young farmers in the state. I caught up with him recently to talk about the state of agriculture in Maryland and how the organization is preparing for a return to a post-COVID world. Thanks for listening. John Torres, how are you? I'm well. How about you, Chris? Doing pretty good. We share the last name, but as as far as I know, I don't, I don't believe we're related. Although a lot of people have asked me that, and probably have asked you that, haven't they? Yeah, I've got another question in a little bit. Uh, hey, you never know. Maybe there's some family connection down the line somewhere. <laughs> can you can you uh, before we get into some issues, you know, in Maryland and Maryland agriculture and all that sort of thing? Can you go ahead and give me some of your background, where you come from? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm originally from uh, the state of Ohio. I grew up in Northwest Ohio. Uh, just south of the Michigan border, uh, pretty flat crop, row crop ground out that way. It's a beautiful country out there. Uh, in the summertime, you can see corn as far as the eye can see, so a great place to grow up. Uh, my family uh, is, is up there. I grew up, uh, I would call it a, a pretty standard uh, rural farm kid life, uh, 4-H and FFA involvement. Went to a very small uh, country public school. Uh, probably graduated with about 40 kids in my high school class, so it uh, was the type of school that everybody had to participate in everything in order for us to have sports teams or extracurricular activities, so a, a pretty uh, neat upbringing. Uh, from there, uh, went uh, to attend a college at Ohio State University, where I studied ag business and applied economics. So I had a wonderful time uh, being a Buckeye out there and, and uh, enjoy the Big Ten love out here in Maryland and on the East Coast as well. Uh, from there, spent some time in business and industry. I was a commodities trader with the Archer Daniels Midland Company and then ended up finding my way into the agricultural association world where I started my career uh, with the Ohio Farm Bureau. Uh, spent some time there, went up to the American Farm Bureau offices in Washington, D.C., uh, took a break, went back home and worked for the corn and wheat growers back in Ohio as their government affairs director, and then uh, got recruited back to the Farm Bureau world out here in Maryland about two years ago. So in a roundabout way, that's kind of uh, my, uh, my background uh, without getting too, uh, too much in the weeds. Tell me a little bit about the family farm. Yeah, so grew up on a corn and soybean farm, and I have to admit, it was a farm that my family did not own uh, ourselves. We rented uh, a farmhouse and had the luxury of what I say of uh, having the farm kid experience without the family having the farm risk. So we had some uh, wonderful neighbors that owned and operated the farm. Uh, from it, Within my family, though, my mom's side of the family was uh, the farming side, and they actually uh, immigrated to the United States from Costa Rica. So my mom's side of the family owned and operated a plantation in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I think like a lot of farm families over the years, uh, they were, uh, you know, uh, had the joys and struggles of farm life and eventually said, uh, we think we're going to uh, exit the farming industry and, uh, quote-unquote, get normal people jobs, and for them that meant uh, moving the, selling the farm, selling the plantation, and moving the family to the United States, and uh, ended up settling in northwest Ohio, and, uh, you know, I think kind of familiar familiar farm community to them, uh, a little bit of a different geography, but uh, but that's where the farm connection is in the family. Sure. Is that where the Torres last name comes from? No, the Torres last name actually comes from my dad's side of the family. Uh 
who are actually from South Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, oddly, I say it's oddly enough, both my parents come from what, what I consider very warm parts of the globe and decided to settle in cold northwest Ohio. But uh, my dad's <laughs> other family actually actually got their way to northwest Ohio because several members of the family at uh, one point were uh, were farm workers. They worked in, in, in the fruit and vegetable fields of northwest Ohio. And uh, as... Uh, as destiny would have it, uh, it had uh, one of my dad's aunts was really good friends with my mom, and, uh, and she played matchmaker, and that's how I came into the world. That's wonderful. Do you have any siblings? I have one younger brother. Uh, he still lives in Northwest Ohio, and he's uh, an electrician for the power company up there. So you've been with Maryland Farm Bureau since 2019. What brought you to this little little powerhouse of an ag state called Maryland? <laughs> Well, I would, I would give all the credit to uh, the network that is uh, what we affectionately call the Farm Bureau family. Uh, one of the, I would say one of the benefits in, in working with Farm Bureau, particularly my time at American Farm Bureau, was the uh, ability to grow the network and really the friends uh, that I have uh, within the farming community across the country. So while I, I spent time uh, at AFBF, I uh, did spend some time doing some uh, consulting work with Maryland Farm Bureau several years ago. Uh, and I think uh, I might have, I, I think I probably left a, a positive impression on the leadership here. So when they had uh, a vacancy in their executive director position, I uh, was contacted by the board and said, hey, we remember you. You want to come back out to the East Coast? So I took them up on the opportunity, and then they brought me back into the Farm Bureau family. So, uh, you know, it's it's a network within Farm Bureau that uh, that you know I, I don't think it, it matters really what profession you're in, but it seems like in the farming community, the more you get involved in the industry and in the community, the the smaller the world seems to be around you. So, uh, so those connections that I built along the way have kind of led me to where uh, my career is now. Sure. What does the executive director of Farm Bureau actually do? Yeah, uh, I joke to a lot of people. I say uh, my my job is really to sign the checks and keep the keep the lights on. Uh, but really, from hey, a somebody has to do it. Basis, <laughs> somebody has to do it. Yeah, from a day to day basis, you know, chief executive officer, I'm managing the day to day operation, uh, managing the staff, managing the finances, uh, all the administrative things that go into running a business that is uh, a trade association, uh, and so uh, so making sure all the all all the wheels are turning uh, properly. Uh, you know, depending on the time of year, I might be more, uh, you know, in in the finance side of things, or certainly uh, in the legislative season. In a typical non-pandemic year, spending some time in Annapolis uh, with our lawmakers and with our government affairs team, uh, trying to advance the mission of our of our public policy positions that our Farm Bureau members have voted on, sure. uh, and then of course uh, engaging with a lot of our other agricultural partners, business and industry members, uh, the American Farm Bureau, and a lot of the national that we work on. So it's a little bit of everything, but I say that the biggest part of the job is just uh, is just making sure the operation is up and running every single day so that we're here to serve uh, our members across the state of Maryland. Oh, you've been here for two years. I mean, what have you what have you gleaned from your time in the old line state? The farming community here is an outstanding community. Uh, there are people that care about what they do. They're passionate about their careers and their fields. Um, they feel a calling. Uh, to work to to food and clothe and fuel the world and and so I certainly feel that here uh, with the folks here in Maryland um, across all of our 23 counties and um, you know it, what, the first thing that people told me when I moved here is that uh, Maryland likes to refer to itself as Little America uh, in essence that uh, the Maryland has a little bit of everything that the whole country has they've got mountain ranges they've got beaches uh, they've got flat land they've got cities and small towns. And so it's a pretty diverse state with a lot of interests and a lot going on uh, for itself. 
Um, and I've got to give credit to uh, to our farming community. They do a great job uh, promoting the industry and, and our profession, uh, and as well as a lot of the people that we work with day to day, which would be the the lawmakers, local, state, and federal lawmakers. Um, we've got a great relationship with those that that work to uh, kind of promote a great environment for our uh, farmers to live and work in. And so, does that make it challenging? Does that make it challenging for you? You know, because of the fact that you're in a state that has so many competing interests in terms of farming. No, challenging isn't, isn't how I put it. I would say there's a lot of great opportunities mm-hmm. uh, that we have, and yeah, competing uh, competing interests always. I think you'll find that anywhere in the country. Uh, but I think the diversity that we have here in Maryland really provides a lot of opportunities uh, for the farming community and for agriculture overall to engage with. Um, Maybe what I would call non-traditional uh, audiences that that might seem a little bit more non-traditional for me coming from the Midwest. And I'll give you an example. We have a, a very fast-growing urban agriculture sector here in Maryland, particularly in Baltimore City uh, and in Prince George's County and and, and around the the D.C. metro area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really been a, a pleasure to see how how that that community is growing and how our county farm bureaus and how the state farm bureau can help advance a really powerful, what I would call powerful and growing sector of agriculture that you won't necessarily find in other parts of the country uh, because we have such a large urban presence here. And so um, that gives us some new opportunities that I think a lot of organizations don't necessarily have because of the diversity we have in the state uh, working with uh, we're working with urban agriculture uh, and working with all sorts of different people and what's going on. Let's go through a couple of the, I guess let's go through a couple of the top topics or the top issues here in the state. You know, as you see it, you know, executive director of, of the, of really the state's, you know, number one or, you know, largest uh, ag organization in terms of, you know, pushing through and advocating for, for agriculture and farmers. What are the top issues that you're seeing right now? And, you know, if you want to, if, if I'd like to actually talk to you about, you know, various bills, if there's certain bills that you're watching or or something like that. What are the top issues that you think are really affecting farmers right now in the state? Yeah, I'd say the number one issue that that we certainly see here in Maryland, and it is in front of us every single day, is uh, the concern uh, to make sure that we're farming in an environmentally sustainable way, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as being economically viable on our farms. Uh, We've got uh, the largest freshwater estuary in in the world here with having the Chesapeake Bay in our backyard. And so we're always working uh, to make sure that we are advancing our mission as it pertains to conservation management. Mm -hmm. So how can we continue to farm ways to produce more product uh, and have less of an impact on the environment in the negative fashion. So we're always working with our local, state, and federal partners to make sure that we have voluntary incentives in place so that farmers have the right tools that they need to farm the right way to produce uh, the resources that we need to have every single day. So we're constantly having those discussions uh, with our friends in the legislature, with our federal partners, with our local communities and our farmers, of course, in partnership with organizations like University of Maryland Extension and other uh, nonprofit entities about how to uh, continue to manage and improve an, uh, our, our environmental footprint. Uh, here in the state of Maryland and, and within the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Uh, so that's a, always of a particular interest for us. When we start thinking about some other things that are that are pretty common uh, that you hear from other states, uh, one of the things that we want to continue to grow is our um, is our mission to advance agricultural education uh, in K-12 through public schools across the state of Maryland. Uh, we we want to see opportunities for our young people uh, to 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 engage in career pathways that bring them to food and agriculture. Maybe not necessarily in farming, uh, but one of the unique um, 
I'd say qualities about the state of Maryland is that the state overall is huge in the area of biotechnology. Right. And we know what's happening in biotechnology and agriculture. And I think there's a great opportunity to introduce some strengths that we have in Maryland, agriculture and biotechnology together, and in the education set- setting, uh, try and uh, appeal to young people uh, to engage in career fields uh, that can advance what we're doing in farming and the ag side of things. So ag education, a huge priority for us. Um, uh, going back to kind of uh, being a little America, we've got a lot, a lot of uh, diverse geography in the state, and wildlife uh, is is another issue that we are constantly dealing with. On the western part of the state, we've got uh, a significant bear population, and it seems like all across the state, a lot white-tailed deer population and all sorts of critters all over the place that uh, that make uh, farming challenging and fun sometimes. And so, always working on wildlife um, management issues uh, for our farmers across the state. So, those are a few things that are that are at the top of the, uh, the list uh, in addition to all sorts of other hot-button topics that, that we discuss from time to time. So, John, you know, there's a lot of talk here in Pennsylvania and even in New York State and some other states about this whole proliferation, this whole growth of, of solar panels on farmland. And, uh, and I know some areas of, of Maryland have also been dealing with that as well. Um, one area that comes to mind is Montgomery County. Can you talk to me from, from your standpoint, Farm Bureau's standpoint, on how, you know, this, obviously there's going to be development of solar and, and how this can actually be done in the state and, and how the farming community can coexist with that? Sure, absolutely. You know, the, the discussion of solar is a, has been a big discussion here within Farm Bureau and across the farming community uh, across the state of Maryland. Uh, we say here, just like we would say at the American Farm Bureau uh, level, we support a very diverse portfolio of energy development across the state. And when we look and have the discussion about solar here in Maryland, uh, the discussion is we support it and let's be smart about where it makes sense to put solar uh, arrays and solar farms across across the state. Uh, like I said earlier, we live in a very ecologically sensitive part of the country with having the Chesapeake Bay in our backyard. We want to make sure that maybe there's parts of land that's in the watershed that would make great sense to have solar and solar arrays put in. But in addition, we don't want to uh, compete against prime and productive farmland. And what we are, what we really want to avoid is putting up solar arrays where our best farmland is. So let's have our best farmland still stay in production and look at places where it makes sense to put solar uh, uh, on our land and places that are a little bit more ecologically sensitive. And in addition, our urban centers and suburban centers. You brought up uh, Montgomery County. Montgomery County is really unique in that the county had a lot of foresight many years ago in setting up... Um, what we call an ag reserve, a big portion of their land uh, that is dedicated to agricultural preservation. Sure. Uh, and so we also look at different types of solar constructs, including commercial solar and what we call community solar, smaller arrays uh, that are designed to produce energy at, at, a, at a small level and figure out where it makes put, uh, sense to put commercial uh, installments and where to put community solar installments. So sure. that is certainly a, a discussion that we are constantly having. Poultry, of course, John, is a really important uh, is a really important segment of the ag economy in Maryland, um, especially on the eastern shore and parts of parts of central Maryland as well. You know, do you want to talk a little bit about do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about issues pertaining to to poultry right now? And I think that the one thing I want two things I want to talk about I want to talk about the the impact. Um, I'd like to talk about the impact of of, uh, of poultry growers finally broiler growers finally getting money through um, through not really the CFAP program, but the later iterations of CFAP and finally getting some money through that program to help them out from the pandemic last year. And also, um, if you'd like to talk about some of the issues regarding uh, phosphorus management, the phosphorus management tool and all that sort of thing, where are we in terms of those two issues? 
Sure, yeah. So we certainly hit on the first one. When uh, the coronavirus popped up uh, last spring, uh, we were all certainly worried about the effects that the pandemic had uh, on agriculture and particularly in the livestock sector. Uh, one of the unique challenges that we have within poultry is how integrated uh, the, the poultry production uh, sector is. And so when we started seeing Congress work on relief packages uh, to provide support to farmers, uh, unfortunately, the first iteration of CPAP did not include uh, contract livestock uh, producers. And of course, as you know, uh, particularly on the Delmarva, but really throughout the whole poultry uh, chain, a large part of our farmers are contract growers for, for integrators. Uh, and so the problem that we saw early on uh, in the disruptions in the supply chain and the workforce disruptions is that we couldn't move uh, chickens through the processing uh, facilities uh, at, at, at any good rate because, because of the disruptions that we have. And so we had longer layouts, so we couldn't move birds out from, from chicken houses as quickly and the birds were getting bigger and then the question is, hey, uh, they got so big, we get, we've got to do something with them. And so, uh, uh, and, and so the challenge was a lot of the poultry integrators uh, were providing uh, some level of support for the farmers, but it wasn't covering all the costs. Mm -hmm. And we know CFAP was not designed uh, to cover all the expenses that were related to the pandemic, but really the, the, to be a bit of a band-aid. And so Maryland Farm Bureau in particular, we spent a lot of time uh, talking with our congressional delegation, talking with then at the time Secretary Purdue and our friends at American Farm Bureau to say, we, we've got to provide support for our contract uh, livestock producers, including poultry and and, and pork uh, at the same time. So we were happy to see uh, Congress finally make some revisions to CPAP that, uh, that allowed our, uh, our poultry growers uh, to have access to that uh, COVID relief. Um, again, uh, that relief didn't cover everything that was lost, but it certainly helped along the way uh, as, and now as we're recovering from, from the pandemic. Sure, and, uh, and some readers, and some readers and I, remember, I remember one story I did last year, a couple stories I did last year, you know, it, it definitely, you know, that, that entire shutdown definitely put some pressure on on a lot of the poultry growers. A lot of poultry growers had to, you know, unfortunately had to, um, you know, a, a lot of the flocks had to be euthanized. Well, I mean, in some cases, flocks had to be euthanized because uh, because there was such a backup. So, you know, it, was, it definitely was a serious situation for a short time there. Absolutely, yeah, very serious situation. And, and we, we absolutely hated uh, to see any flocks have to be downsized, uh, but, but it was a situation that required... Um, for, you know, really for the welfare of the animals and for the horrible disruptions that we were seeing uh, in the supply chain just, just had to happen. Uh, so we were grateful that we were able to work with the integrators to, 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 to try and make farmers whole as much, much as possible, and we were able to work with Congress uh, to provide some relief to those poultry growers. And, and of course, now uh, seeing uh, the supply chains back and in the process of working as they should, uh, glad that we're out of those woods uh, and hopefully can stay that way for, for a long time. Sure. And you were going to go, I'm sorry, I apologize. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to go on, uh, you want to talk phosphorus management tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah going back to, again, a constant issue. How do we, how do we continue to, to farm in, in environmentally sensitive ways? You know, we continue to work with the state of Maryland, uh, with the Maryland Department of Agriculture and Governor Hogan's administration to make sure that we're we're providing tools to our farmers uh, to farm in the best ways possible. And one of those is the implementation uh, of the phosphorus management tool, which was built uh, on a model, a series of models that, uh, that our institutions here in Maryland have put together uh, to find ways to mitigate uh, additional runoff of phosphorus into the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And so, uh, so we want to make sure that we're looking at uh, sensitive soils, particularly on the eastern shore, in which we're not applying uh, applying or over-applying uh, phosphorus 
to places that we might have legacy phosphorus or legacy P in the soil and that we're applying uh, phosphorus to places that really do need it for, for agronomy purposes. And so the phosphorus management tool is one tool that helps us identify uh, where, where additional uh, nutrients should be placed and not placed in addition to a suite of other tools and programs with the Maryland Department of Agriculture that we've been working on. One of those being uh, a program that we call the Manure Transport Program in which, uh, in which we provide funding, the state provides funding to transport chicken litter uh, further away uh, from the eastern shore, places that have higher levels of phosphorus, so that we can get that natural organic fertilizer to other parts uh, of the state that could that could really use it, um, and and uh, and other programs that that are looking to help uh, find places that we can place uh, chicken litter, uh, including uh, a program that we just recently got funded uh, to help support manure storage facilities on non-poultry farms so that there's outlets for, for litter to go. So we were trying to make sure that we get that natural organic fertilizer to places that need it and keep it off uh, land that doesn't need as much of it right now. So it's always an ongoing uh, ongoing discussion of how to best manage nutrients uh, on the Delmarva and the Eastern Shore. Yeah, I always have hemp in the back of my mind because, you know, of course, that was that was the big thing here about a year ago or two years ago. Um, you know, how, how's the development of that industry in the state right now as you see it? Yeah, it's exciting here in Maryland just like it is in all over all over the country. Uh, so exciting that we did run into a little bit of a challenge earlier uh, last year and, and this year. Um, so as most people know, hemp is is uh, in the in the cannabis family. It is not a cannabis in and of itself. Uh, it's not the illegal drug that we're worried about, but the, that same uh, class uh, of plant. And so as a result, it does produce a few things uh, that uh, that that cannabis is known for, including a little bit of a aroma. I'll put it that way. And so uh, so when we had some <laughs> test plots. Uh, uh, in Baltimore County, uh, the neighbors quickly wondered what the aroma was coming out from the from the neighbors' fields, and so we we uh, we spent some time talking uh, with with uh, local communities, with legislators about uh, how to best uh, how to best advance this growing uh, growing industry of hemp. So we're having the discussion uh, with our partners here in in Maryland, including the newly formed Hemp Grower Maryland Hemp Growers Association, of how we can advance uh, and find markets uh, for for this new product. And so I think with like, uh, a lot of everybody, we're trying to tackle the, 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 the growing hemp industry from two, two places, uh, from an agronomy standpoint, how to cultivate and, and properly grow uh, the crop, and then from a marketing perspective, where is the outlet for this, whether it's fiber, whether it's oil, whether it's other uses, uh, so that it can be a profitable commodity uh, for our farmers to grow. Uh, we've been partnering with the University of Maryland Extension and, and extension agents across the state to figure out how to best do that. Uh, on a small scale, and, and we'll see how uh, how the industry develops. Well, let's talk about let's talk about young farmers. Um, you know, I, I think that that one thing one thing that I always try to get across, or one thing that I always you know try to when I'm when I'm talking to people, when I'm talking to people who are being interviewed, is um, is is what is what does the future you think look like? You know, for young farmers in the state and here, Maryland. Here's a perfect example. Tell me what you think the future for for young farmers here is in the state, and 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 how do you think how do you think the 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 um, the agriculture community? Let's just say the agriculture community. Um, you know, what are some of the challenges that need to be overcome so that there's land available for farmers, so that's an affordable business to get into, so that's exciting, so, that, so, so that's exciting for a young farmer, somebody young and, up and, and coming that really wants to get into the business. Mm -hmm. the, the first thing I was, I, I want to look certainly 
look at the positive side uh, of agriculture, whether it's here in Maryland or any, any other place uh, in the country. Uh, as we certainly know, and as we've been talking about for a long time, we know that the world population is continuing to grow. We know that, uh, the, the, that the World Health Organization says, hey, by the year 2050, we're going to have about 10 billion uh, people on the face of this planet. We need to almost double agricultural output to make sure everybody has the food, fiber, uh, fuel that we need uh, to, to live quality life. And so to that end, uh, I think... Uh, starting a career, getting into the career of farming and agriculture, uh, there's a lot of upside. When we look at per- particularly here in Maryland on the East Coast, uh, we talk about land availability and land price and all those things that come along with it, urban sprawl. Uh, you know, two major metrics here in Maryland, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. We've got, uh, we've got uh, a coast here as, as well. And so land is at a premium. And so how do we, as, as, uh, as an industry, support young people wanting to jump into the career of farming and agriculture when we know it's such capital-intensive uh, business to be in, and uh, and land is scarce here in Maryland. We do a great job of of, of land preservation programs and and uh, capital asset programs through a partner that we call Marbidco, uh, which is essentially a quasi state agency that helps with loans and grants, uh, so that young people can can uh, procure farmland and equipment and things of that nature. So, uh, a lot going on when we look at the different mixes of agriculture in Maryland. We have a little bit of everything, so lots of opportunities, whether it's on the row crop or livestock side, but a huge green nursery and landscape industry here in the state as well. Um, of course, with, with lots of uh, commercial real estate and, and housing developments, that's uh, always been a huge part of the agricultural mix here uh, in the state. So there's opportunities here, but, but we'll also say, yeah, there, there are challenges uh, based on the land use and where we're located, but always trying to work with our partners to find ways to, to, um, to make it easier for young people to get engaged in, in, the, in the industry. And talking about, talking about, um, about urban agriculture, there was a, th- just tell me a little bit about AgriHood Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And I know that, that they actually made it pretty far. They didn't make it into the top four of the Farm Bureau Ag Innovation Challenge, but tell me a little bit about that. I know that um, you know doing research on you, you really pushed for them to to make it to the top. Tell me a absolutely. Agrihood Baltimore and the Plantation of Park Heights. This is an urban agriculture enterprise uh, in West Baltimore, and uh, it's headed up by a wonderful Farm Bureau member uh, that affectionately goes by the name of Farmer Chippy. And Farmer Chippy uh, and his family come from uh, the country of Trinidad, and so they're they're immigrants uh, here to the United States. Uh, have a farming background. Uh, have uh, have professional backgrounds in, in other industries and said, hey, we, we, we want to be back involved in agriculture and farming somehow. We live in Baltimore City. How do we do this? Uh, and my first discussions with Farmer Chippy was in, in asking him, hey, what kind of urban farm are you trying to, are you trying to create here? Tell me about uh, your community. Uh, and he jokes, he said, hey, I'm here to be a real farmer. I'm the real deal. I'm not here to be an urban gardener. I want to be an urban farmer, and that's what they're trying to do. And so Farmer Chippy uh, and, and his uh, community there in Baltimore City are working on a few different initiatives. Number one, how do we grow food uh, in the inner city uh, in, in a place where it's maybe not as easy to come by fresh fruits, vegetables, things of that nature. And so they're creating a business for themselves. Number two, they're helping the community learn more about proper nutrition. How do you eat the right foods to stay healthy uh, every single day and how do you do that by growing your own food? And I said, thirdly, uh, it's more along the lines that we talked a little bit more about agricultural education, spending a lot of time with youth development on the urban farm that he's got going on uh, in Park Heights, trying to introduce 
uh, growing food and, and nutrition to the young people that live in and around uh, the Park Heights community and West Baltimore community there. And so when, when Farmer Trippy jumped into the AFBF Ag Innovation Challenge, uh, we wanted to see how, how far can we uh, advance this idea of urban agriculture and everything that we can do to support an urban community around food, nutrition, agricultural education, youth development, things of that nature. So we were so excited uh, when uh, the plantation of Park Heights, uh, Agrohood Baltimore, was able to make it into the top 10 uh, last year at the AFBF Annual Convention. So really excited to see that growth happen there. Um, Just lots and lots of energy there. Uh, And uh, the type of energy that's growing our membership in in a place like Baltimore City, where I said maybe not a traditional place where Farm Bureau would be, but it's it's certainly a place where Maryland Farm Bureau is trying to, to, to grow and help uh, our, our folks there uh, in Baltimore City. Yeah, that, that that that's a great program. It sounds like a great program, and uh, maybe something that, that maybe I'll go down and, and visit sometime, um, talk to Farmer Chippy. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you will never find, I don't think you'll find a Farm Bureau member with any more energy uh, than you find with Farmer Chippy. The ideas are constantly flowing, the positivity is constantly flowing, uh, and it's just you'll be invigorated uh, by visiting uh, visiting his operation and having a, a discussion with him. Um, just a lot of going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact that, that he's trying to bring in young farmers, that, that it sounds like he has, or trying to bring in young people. He has, you know, that aspect of it where he really, really wants to bring in young Absolutely. people. That's that's really neat. Well, I mean, obviously there's there's vaccine hesitancy in a lot of different places. I mean, are, are you seeing more or less hesitancy within the farm community that you know, within people that you talk to? Yeah, I don't think any different than any other community that has more people know, have friends and family members that choose to go get vaccine uh, and, and have generally have uh, an okay experience with it. And okay, meaning, yeah, we, we've heard all the, you know, there's from side effects from time to time, but, uh, you know, very, very minimal. Um, I think as more people know a personal friend or family member that gets vaccinated, the more comfortable they are getting with the, with the making that decision for themselves. You know, for me personally, I, I chose to, to get vaccinated. I got my first shot uh, about three weeks ago. I go in uh, next weekend to get my, my second shot. Uh, and so I think making it familiar, you know, introducing people to other people who have been vaccinated to kind of ease any concerns that people have, and as well as encouraging people to talk to their physicians, making sure that they're getting good medical advice from, from the medical experts that they trust, which would be their family doctors, uh, uh, pr- uh, medical practitioners to help them make those decisions. So what do you hear? Are we going to have a Maryland State Fair this ah, year? Ah, <laughs> we are hearing that. So, uh, yeah, our good friends at the Maryland State Fair have, it, Fair have indicated to us uh, that they are making full plans to have a Maryland State Fair uh, this coming year. As you know, we, we canceled it like a lot of state fairs did last year. It's the first time since World War II that the Maryland State Fair had to, had to close their gates. And so looking to, to get that up and running uh, this uh, coming uh, end of the summer. And so uh, one of the things that are going to come be coming back that I think some of the Maryland fire fair growers were used to having is that the Maryland Farm Bureau Young Farmers used to sell milk, milkshakes at the state fair. We've always sold milkshakes and ice cream. Our milkshake operation kind of took a break over the past two years, and I want to let everybody know, milkshakes are coming back for the 2021 state fair. So visit the Maryland awesome. Farm Bureau Young Farmers at the Cow Palace, and we will have your milkshakes uh, ready for you on those hot hot summer days at the Maryland State Fair. So we're excited to be back at the fair again this year, and uh, hoping everybody comes out and visits us, and and uh, you know watches all the youth exhibitions that are out there, all the shows, all the horse racing uh, that'll happen. So uh, glad to be back this year, and, and hopefully we can uh, keep it back for a while. Well, there you go. If anybody takes anything from this podcast, right there it is: milkshakes at the Maryland State there Fair. You go. 
I'm going to be there. <laughs> um, one more thing. How about how about your your annual meeting? How about Maryland Farm Bureau's annual meeting? You plan to have that in person this Absolutely. year? Absolutely. Yes, our plan is to bring back our annual meeting. Like a lot of state farm bills, we went virtual last year. And so uh, we're really excited this year because we're going to be going to a new uh, annual convention home. We're going to be at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, a beautiful resort uh, there uh, on the water, uh, a great new uh, venue, lots of space for, for new activities, continuing education programs, keynote speeches, receptions, uh, side events. And so we're looking forward to having that December 4th through the 7th at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, uh, looking to get some more information out on that soon. But uh, we can't wait to see our Farm Bureau family in person once again. Yeah, that's right near where my old stomping grounds were. I actually spent some time on the Eastern Shore over there in the Centerville um, the Centerville area. I lived down there for a little bit. So, yeah, that's near my, my old stomping grounds. Beautiful area. Oh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful area. Yeah. Well, John, hey, it was great talking to you about Maryland agriculture. Um, thank you very much. Love the conversation, and uh, and good luck. All right, Chris, hey, thanks for talking to you, and I hope uh, we get a chance to talk again real soon. And once again, thanks to John Torres for being our guest this week. It was great to visit with him and talk about opportunities for young farmers in the state and sort of get a, uh, an overview of what's going on in, in Maryland and our great farmers down in that area. So thanks for listening this week to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.